Hi there, this is Taylor with the Millennial Mission Podcast. You're listening to episode six, Black in Flint City, USA. I bring on um, my friend Shaq today and we talk about our love for Flint, our love for the city. We talk about also a lot of challenges that we see um, and needs to come in. So Shaq grew up in Flint. I, I've lived here for the past two years. We also talk about um, a lot of things I think most churches, especially the churches that I grew up with in, um, you know, me being like a white Catholic, that, you know, we don't talk about race, like within church. I've never heard it talking about, you know, from a pulpit. And it's something that's really important to our country today. And I think is important to our generation. So that's why we're going to talk about it here. And we bring on Shaq and he shares his experience of being a young black Christian man um, in America. And I, I talk about my experience of, you know, race growing up as a, you know, white like middle-class male as well. But it's, it's really good. Um, I think Parts of it may make you guys just a little bit uncomfortable, um, especially the people that normally listen to this podcast, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So um, I just challenge you to listen to it um, all the way through. And also as well, if you guys disagree, please please do that in the comments. That's like a great way to talk about what you think about these things and a voice like your opinion and make a note, but please do it in a respectful way. So that's it. Let's get started. Welcome again um, to episode six of the Millennial Mission Podcast. It's been a while since we've had one. We've done a few My Story podcasts and things since then, but um, trying to meet with Shaq and the schedule has finally worked out. So, Shaq, it's really good to have you. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Finally. Yeah, finally. Yeah. So, Shaq has to take the the bus, um, which, so we both live in Flint. Um, you live in like north side of Flint, right? Originally, originally, I lived on the north side of Flint. Now, I'm about five minutes from Carmen Answorth. Okay, where's Carmen Answorth, the city? So just people that you know, wouldn't know as much listening to this. The city, technically, for those of you who live in the Flint area, if you know Miller Road, it's right off there, uh, coming in as a Linden, that area. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so pretty much it's, it's right out. Technically, if you want to say, right outside of Flint, but a lot of people in the Flint, if you live in Flint, there's no way that you probably haven't crossed the Carmen Answorth area, or now, as they, as, they, as they say, Carmen Hills, if you will. They're calling it Carmen Hills now, but... Oh, take, yeah. yeah. I, I know they changed the name. That Yeah, I mean, we could get in that. That annoys me a little bit, but... Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, so basically, just to give an idea, so they changed... So there's Flint, and then there's Flint Township. Flint Township, um, you know, they're not through the Flint city government. They're, they have their own water, um, as most of you will know about the Flint water crisis, where lead sleeping from the pipes. I mean, that's a very quick ep- explanation of that, but... Uh, Flint Township changed their name to kind of get rid of that association, which um, was a little little annoying for people of us that live in Flint. But yeah, so Shaq, so we were talking earlier. So you grew up in Flint. Like, what was I guess what was life like for you, like growing up? I mean, life for me in the city of Flint, pretty much I would say, I would say pretty much a normal American household. 
two, two, both of my parents graduated college and the two, uh, obviously a two parent household. My little sister, the block that I lived on for the majority of my life from about maybe 10 to 11 to about maybe 20, 21 years old was pretty much family oriented. My aunt and my grandmother lived right down the street. The house we lived in, my aunt and my uncle lived in before that. And we were very close to our neighbors. And at the same time, I was very much aware of the conditions in Flint that were going on and still going on. The violence, the poverty, you know, just being aware of where you are, you know, being careful with your actions, your surroundings, who you're with, what time it is, things of that nature. So I personally grew up in a very, obviously well off, a lot better off than most in Flint. But I was thinking the conditions surrounding the city and in the city, they still impacted my psyche. Obviously, being a young black male and just being aware of the violence and racial, uh, somewhat of a racial tension and things of that nature. And now that I'm in the common Nashville area and I hang out, I hang out downtown a lot here near U of M, where it's basically almost a college town now, I'm a lot more aware of the differences in the, in the city and just outside of it as well. Yeah, it's crazy. So for me, um, so a lot of you guys will know that listening. So I live in the Flint area. I'm actually, sadly, I'm moving out. Um, this week um, at the time of recording this podcast. But it's crazy because I know for me, I grew up on the west side of Michigan and near the lake, so Lake Michigan, which is a very beach touristy area. And went from that. So it's pretty, you know, very extremely white, like middle class. And it, it's funny, every time I go back home, I like be, <laughs> be walking around and from living in Flynn and then living in Lansing for a while, I'll be like, Where'd all the black people go? <laughs> There's just white people everywhere, which is like, that's, you know, and that's not a terrible thing. And that's just kind of like what I grew up with. And then um, when I lived in Michigan State, um, I definitely experienced a lot more diversity, people from all over the world, um, from a lot of different backgrounds and kind of more of a cross section of America. And then moving out to Flint, I, I remember at first when I moved out here, like I had all the same perceptions. You know, I didn't really grow up with a lot of money. I, I talk about it in my my story podcast how um even though I grew up with an you know very like loving family, a mom who was just awesome and a rock and supported us, but we she had a lot of health issues and other stuff where we had a lot of poverty um and our house was foreclosed on. We were basically like kind of semi homeless. We we always found a place to live with, but you know, it would be places like Salvation Army or things that um would provide but even with all that experience, when I moved to Flint, it's like I had all the same perceptions. Um, I knew there was a lot of good people and a lot of particularly good churches, which that's what I was coming to do was to work in campus ministry. So I was excited for that. But like, I just, you know, I, I remember when I first got to Flint, like I, I lived just a little bit slightly north of downtown. So um, just a little bit north of the university. And like really the area is like not that bad at all. It's right by Catholic Charities. You know, there's people that are homeless and other things, but, the, you know, people are just going to ask me for money. Like, nothing has ha- ever happened to me and living there for a year. But I was, I had this, like, such a huge, like, fear of something that may or may not happen because I really just had no experience. I just, it was mostly ignorance. I would drive out to, like, the middle of the road, like, Linden area to, like, go out to eat. And it's like, now that I look back now, it's just like, oh, my gosh. Like, why did I ever think that? But people have that, you know, perception of Flint. Um, what would you say to people who, you know, do have this like really, you know, negative perception of how would you describe how Flint actually is? Flint 
in some ways, I feel like it's a lot more close knit than most people most people think. Uh, you just mentioned it. there are a lot of good people here, but unfortunately, a lot of the negative actions here, they get obviously they they get uh, a lot of attention. So it's frustrating in a way. I feel like the city is a lot better than obviously people perceive it to be, but obviously we still have a long way to go. It's it's, it's really easy to me to perceive something you see on TV. When you constantly see uh, Detroit right down the street, basically 90 minutes away, and then Flint being the first, Detroit is the first, I think the first worst city to live in in a recent study, and then Flint is number three. But also, uh, we just kind of sort of mentioned this in our previous conversation right before we came on, the wealth the wealth is really separated. Oh, yeah. Here. So there's a lot of you know downtown and that surrounding area is starting to become a college town. But unfortunately, a lot of that wealth from you know, Academy University, uh, Mott, University of Michigan, that's not really spreading out to the areas that really really need it on a consistent basis, like the east side and the north side. And I believe I believe about maybe only maybe forty percent of people people here are living in the poverty line, on or below the poverty line. So it's easy to judge people by money or lack thereof, as you will, and what they don't have. But I mean for me, I would say to those who have a negative perception about the Flint area and the city especially, just come and check us out. You know, where most people, like I said, are pretty good people here. It's very close knit. It's a very for the for I say for people I've been with anyway, very warm and very loving. So I would just say, come experience the city for yourself. And I think there's a lot more here than what meets the eye or what meets your ear, depending on how you receive our media about us. But just come check Flint out. I don't believe there's a lot of great people and a lot of great talent here. It's just that there's so much negativity surrounding the city sometimes that people don't really get a chance to really see what Flint, Michigan really is. Yeah, definitely a lot of perceptions, a lot of judgment on the outside. Um, you and me were just talking about this, but like last, so I've lived in Flint for the two years and my family, so my mom, um, I have a brother, he, he lives now in Milwaukee, but my mom and my brother um, came out for the first time to the Flint area. And we, we live about, you know, two hours, 20 minutes away. So it's a bit of a drive. You know, we've still got some financial stuff. Like my mom is going back. She, she can't just like come out whenever like she feels like her once. Um, but finally came out um, to visit me during my like last couple of weeks here. And last week, and I gave them, I gave them what I felt like was a real tour of the city. Like I took them to the downtown, which kind of like Detroit, as you were mentioned, Shaq, like, like people have, a lot of people with money have spent a lot of money in downtown and it's really safe. There's all the, a lot of things to do, a lot of mm-hmm. awesome restaurants and play. We have the Flint Farmer's Market. It's probably my favorite part about Flint. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I love coming down. I try to come down to the Farmer's Market at least once a week, if not twice. Yeah. I love hanging out downtown. I didn't even cut you off, but. Oh, no problem. As, as you mentioned, like I, like I just said, the wealth. It's not spread throughout the city, mm-hmm. and I'm sure your mom and your brother saw that when they came here. Yeah, and that's that's what happened. Is like I took them from, you know, some of my my favorite parts. So like the farmers market, where you can get any food you imagine. They have these amazing vendors, and not just like serving farm food, but it's just like this state of the art facility. Um, I took them to like Formar Nature Preserve, which is like one of the most beautiful parks I've ever been to, like in my life. Me and my brother went on a short hike there, and just like other parts of the city that I love and. Um, and then I took him to like some of the really very rough parts, like the east side, um, like around like Franklin, 
um, trying to remember, like kind of like north of Longway, like a bit, yeah, yeah, and to parts of the north side as well. And we're just driving through, and like you know, pretty much all those places you drive through in the middle of the day, like you don't really have anything to worry about. But I gave it, I've tried to giving them, you know, a lot of pers- perspective. And for me, it's like I've known a lot of people that grew up in these areas that either currently live there right now, and a lot of these neighborhoods where they have they're close knit and uh, people together, but like. Like, I remember my mom, like, she came away and she called, she's called me and said several times, like, you know, how much she thanked me for, like, how blown away she was by Flint. Yeah, she, uh, you opened her eyes by taking her throughout oh, yeah. the city rather than just staying downtown and probably just looking at some pictures online and some articles. You actually gave, you actually gave your your family the experience of a Flintstone rather than just, rather than just hearing it through the grapevine, if you will, mm-hmm. through some type of media source. So I, trust me, as a Flintstone as a Flint native, I appreciate that. Yeah. And like, she just, she loved it. Like she, and I was able to give them at least, you know, my, I've only lived here for two years and I'm not going to pretend that I fully understand the city or have gone through what so many people have lived through, um, some of the hardships and some of the joys that they've gone through. So I, I won't pretend that at all, but I was trying to give them my best, you know, best accurate, most accurate portrayal. Um, so yeah. So what are your, I guess your favorite parts of Flint? Well, we just mentioned downtown. Obviously, I, I love the north side. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I have to give a shout-out to uh, the schools here, Northwestern, uh, Flint Northwestern, Flint Southwestern, which I could probably get into, get into that in a second. Also, we have four major schools. The other two were Flint Northern and Flint Central. They've since closed. I love the east side, even though it's a lot, a lot of poverty and a lot of despair there. Just the heart of that heart of that neighborhood. They're trying to make something good out of it. So I like a little bit of everything as far as the city's concerned. But probably my favorite, especially over the past maybe three or four years, especially being a college student, is downtown. downtown. I was just hoping wish that the wealth and prosperity in the building of downtown can spread throughout the city. That I would really like to see. So I would love to see a farmer's market on the north side of Flint that's affordable for people to go get fresh food like tomatoes and vegetable tomatoes and carrots and onions and celery and other kind of vegetables that's a, that that that's, you know, they're affordable for a very long time maybe right after i moved there was a kroger's maybe pretty much almost like right down the street from my house that was closed and then there was a myers going toward mount morris right across the highway that closed too so if you if you were poor on the north side, and there wasn't a lot of room for you to get, a lot of places for you to get affordable food, healthy food too. Yeah, like food. Yeah. yeah, I remember I took a class in uh, MSU. My professor, she studied food deserts. So basically, yes. which is um, for those of you guys listening, that food deserts are in like urban like areas where, especially those places that don't have a lot of money, where you'll have places you know whether it's Walmart. Um, Meyer, Kroger's, like those places are big around here. They won't actually be in these urban centers because there's not a lot of money. Maybe people that would drive into these places are worried about the area and like people that, so people that live like in these, like these urban areas have to, you know, especially if they can't drive. Right. You know, that's they, 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 they can't, you know, if they have to walk or take the bus, you know, they don't have access to fresh fruit and, like vegetables, like healthy options and stuff, and they have to pay like premium prices at smaller places. And let's say if you're like riding the bus or something like that, like you can only carry like so much. And then you, when you ever, you, where you get up from your bus stop, you got to walk all the way back home. So it yeah. really limits what you can do. And it takes, 
you know, it's hours of your time as opposed to, you know, just like a half hour. Right. As compared to jumping in your car and then going maybe 10 to 15 minutes down the street to a Myers or to, a, like you said, a Walmart and getting uh, getting fresh food and fe- fresh food and vegetables and fruits to cook your family healthy and affordable food. It's kind of hard to do that when you don't have the transportation, let alone the money to get that food. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. So breathe, relax. Um, I want to take this moment to thank our supporters on Patreon, um, especially Danny Boink and Libby Petrowski, who are in our top tier of support. And if you guys want to support the show, we have a link below of Patreon. Basically what it is, it's, it's Kickstarter, but it renews every month and it helps us make the show and improve it, make it happen. We want to add videos and we have some goals that we want to meet. So feel free to check that out um, below. And thank you because your support means everything. So that's it. Let's get back to the show. I think there's so much division in this country like right now. And I think a lot of the problem is because people aren't like willing to talk to each other. And I'm sure you and me, we could probably talk for hours about that. But I feel like one of the things is we talk about, you know, race has come up as a, you know, it's always been a major issue, but I feel like it's been back in the forefront um, and a lot of times from people on both sides, it's like, we're not really even, I'm not, I'm like, not that I'm going to put myself on like, like a side like that at this moment, but, um, people don't really talk to each other, like about these things. Like we, people just have, at least from my, where I'm seeing where I'm at is where you have these perspectives and we're not asking, um, people who are actually living in it we're not validating like oh like you're the one who actually grew up with this experience right like, we're not like, ba- we're what not- do you think and like i would like to ask you like what's your experience of being like a like black christian america in flint in america like today i mean being a black man in america today point blank you know it's, it's pretty doggone scary pretty much that's the, the best way i can put it i don't even know i'm a christian like i said i'm well off it's always in the back of my mind that you know, maybe someone who doesn't know me is just going to judge me by the color of my skin. And let's say I'm in my neighborhood that's pretty well off late at night, maybe 9, maybe 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. And let's say I get stopped by the police. They ask you, what are you doing here? Who are you? Do you have any ID? Uh, stay right here. You can comply with the police or you can comply with that neighbor, I guess. And still be judged by the color of your skin and still be chilled just because you're black in America. And I think, Taylor, what you just said is we're not listening to each other. And our experiences, especially as minorities, they're being invalidated and they're not being listened to. And I think for a lot of people, to be honest with you, I think race for them is legal. So it's by the law. So technically, for the most part, legally, we are all equal. But clearly, obviously, the treatment of black people and other people of color in this country shows otherwise and i think that for the past maybe 50 some odd years since the civil rights act of 1964 was passed y'all might want to go check that out y'all know what y'all know what i'm talking about or Mm -hmm. not just to give a bit of a background i think legally that obviously changed a lot of things giving us the right to vote and being for the most part full if you will citizens but it never it never socially really changed anything in my eyes then I think a lot of this racial hatred and uh, viral, if you will, came back out when Barack Obama became president. And then not only did he become president, he had the second term. So I think it put a lot of, I will say, racist white people and racist people in general, anti-black, if you will, they resented that. 
And I think that maybe a lot of people they feel like, from what I've heard, we're losing our country. I'm pretty sure you might have, if you read any articles about race, we're losing the heart of this country. You know, which is for the most, to be quite honest, has been white Christian males. No offense against you or anyone else, but I think it's a, a, a bit, maybe a bit scary for them to maybe hear some voices and see some images and see some people that they don't understand or don't talk to on a regular basis. So when you see that and you don't want to hear it, you just tune it out. And you just think that person is not human or not worthy of being listened to or not worthy of being uh, watched or not worthy of being heard or having their stories heard. Yeah, it's really interesting for me. We were just talking about this but um, before. But for me, like growing up in the area that I grew up, it's, you know, I talk, I mean, I just mentioned how I had all my struggles with financially, like we growing up, we grew up with like just very little money, um, single mom. And it's pretty much like if you were like, look at the numbers as far as like, okay, you guys made this amount of income in here. You're single mom with three kids. It's like a lot of, it's the same experience as so many like people that either I've known in Flint. Uh, but the, the real difference is I think I first kind of started knowing this when I went to Michigan State and East Lansing. And then when I moved to Flint, it was just really painfully obvious is like the way that, you know, I was treated by whether it's, you know, people on people on the street that I just walked by or even like, you know, I've only been pulled over. And I, I think we have really good cops in this area, at least from my idea and my perspective. Um, and but. You know, I've never really had any problems. I've never had to worry about anything. I don't have to usually ever worry about anything happening to me. I've never had, you know, I've never had anything. I've had some aggressive home, like people who are homeless and like, you know, I'll talk to them and like usually like, like give them money. But um, at the same time, it's like, I really haven't had to worry a lot um, about being in Flint. And then for me, you know, I heard about things and stuff like white privilege, but it wasn't until like I experienced it firsthand because there's so many people who, you know, me, I was a crazy kid and other stuff growing up where I had different struggles with anxiety. Um, I would had a lot of anger issues and stuff. I got in trouble and stuff all the time in school. But it made me, my experience here and living be like, oh, wow. Like, I can at least see, you know, my own reality of what people call white privilege, where it's like because of the color of my skin, like I don't have to deal um, with the same problems and issues that like you and like, like other like black men like do, <laughs> right? You're, you're right. No, thank you for acknowledging that because not a lot of people won't even acknowledge that they have white privilege or even know what it is or even try to look it up and figure out what it is. So first of all, thank you for acknowledging that. As you mentioned, and also I was just kind of thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement as well. To that movement, for those of you who, who may have heard of it or maybe be against it, we're not saying that other lives don't matter. We're seeing that we matter too. And even though it sounds obvious to say that, the history and treatment of America and the current condition of black people and black people in America has always shown otherwise. It's kinda hard to I would say it's kinda hard for anyone to disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, you as a as a white person, as a white especially as a white male, a white Christian male, Taylor, may not have the experience of being pulled over because you're black in a certain neighborhood, rich or poor, or being or having your, let's say, your intelligence questioned because of the color of your skin, your skills questioned because of the color of your skin, or, oh, did you get here because you're black 
uh, if you will, the affirmative action rather than being ba- based on your character and your skills. It's based on the color of your skin. So it's needless to say it's beyond, beyond frustrating being black in America. At times it's really scary. I don't know what. Just to know that you could be killed walking out the door being black for no reason other than someone doesn't like you because of the color of your skin. So is that something, you know, like that fear? I know you, you mentioned a couple times already, but like that fear of, you know, your life in danger, is that something that's like really present like on your mind? And you would say in like other, you know, people are like in like your position, like as far as black men? Oh, absolutely. It always has been. It always has been. I think the difference is now with social media like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and things of that nature is that you're hearing it a lot more. with the And also with camera phones, you're seeing a lot more of these, the police brutality. We obviously had 24-7 news for a while. We're seeing a lot more of these cases. And I think uh, for a lot of people, they were thinking maybe it's not all that bad. Like I said, going back to the 60s, maybe it's leveled off. But I think now there's really no denying it. Whether we get justice or not, you can't deny that there's definitely... There's definitely a system that's not been built for black people and other people of color in this country. Mm-hmm. It's based off white privilege and white money and brutality and things of that nature. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not saying all white people, because I know a lot of you guys are thinking that right now, but or will be thinking that when y'all hear this, but we're not saying that, but we're saying that if you acknowledge that there's white privilege, try to dismantle this system and create one that's equal for all people. But how many, how many of you guys Let's say I have black friends or I have Native American friends or I have a Latina girlfriend or something like that. I'm really willing to sit down, listen to us, acknowledge our experiences, and then do something about it in the, within the system. Whether it's our spiritual system, our justice system, our American social system, our system, or otherwise, there has to be work done here. So, yeah, that to, to answer your original question, question, Taylor, that fear of being black and being hurt or killed because you're black is something that not only I experience and feel, but that's been felt for centuries since since we've been over here. It's nothing new. It's just that the voices are louder and there are a lot more of them now because of social media. But it's nothing new at all. Yeah, I think something that you touched on, because I, I don't know, I don't think we're going to be able to in any, and I don't even want to like try to cover as far as you know politically like what we can do, but... Like as a podcast of, you know, a lot of like Catholics, a lot of Christians like listening. I mean, of course, people other are always like welcome. Um, I would really want. I want to ask. Well, I w- I want to say something before we even get get started before I ask my question. But I think something that I've seen within like Christian or Catholic churches to a very very degree is from people, especially um, you know, churches that are predominantly white. And I think that's something I see within Catholic churches, like depending on area and you have a lot more diversity, like in, um, like even Christ the King and like, which is Catholic church. I think they're on, I'm trying to remember what road. Yeah. But, I've heard of them before. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like, they're, you know, they're primarily like African-American, like Catholic church, but something like there's a tendency to want to stay out of like some of these issues or not talk about them or just like, you know, that's for other stuff. Like that's not right. Because uh, right. Because it's considered divisive divisive of the not just the catholic church but the christian church in general yeah and but i i think so jesus talks about a lot about this like greater like kingdom of heaven like that's the thing that he actually 
when he's on earth, that's what he's preaching. You know, he's, he says a lot of things about, you know, himself and like his relation and a lot of Jesus's teachings are centered around himself, you know, talking about how, you know, he like is God. But uh, when he starts his ministry in, so this is in like Luke, and this is something like I think about a lot, um, is he says the spirit of, he like picks this up from uh, the scroll and it's from like, I'm pretty sure it's from Isaiah where, and he reads this off and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, you know, he rolls it up and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what I really get out of that in, in this passage is that, you know, Jesus has not just come to set us like, spiritually free but when he talks about the kingdom of heaven he's talking about how you know god's original vision for the world um, a world that is you know at peace that is just that is um fair with like right and where where we're free to like you know there's a lot of spirituality where we're free to like walk and like walk as like disciples and to choose the right things but as well, where, where Jesus is talking about, you know, setting like the captives free to, um, to let the oppressed go free to, he's talking about as well, where it's like this real justice where, you know, when God like looks at division within our world, within, you know, oppression and like inequality, like God like hates that. Yeah. That's not how God designed it to be. Yeah. And so we, you know, if we're bringing the kingdom of heaven, that's not just a spirituality. So that's just not like, you know, evangelizing right. people. I mean, that's a huge part of it. But there's this reality where he's called. We're also called to set things right. Yeah, right. And to right. set things right on how God originally intended it to be. Yeah. Of a, you know, as you know, that what that's going to look like in reality and within the real world and like the real world, it's it's not ever going to be perfect. But that's what we're called like as like Christians, like to work towards right, as well. It's, right, we're called to make this world a better place. To that same point, same point about God's by God's God creating in division, Taylor. I don't think God just made us black for no black and different races and different faiths and colors for no reason. I'm sure you would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's obviously something there. Uh, I was just thinking that meek shall meek shall inherit the earth as well. You know. We have our, this is our, it's our responsibility to give back to those who can't give to themselves or have the opportunity or privilege to give to others. So I don't think God made a different races just to divide his own church. Obviously, that's not the case. But I do think that he made us different so we can hear each other out. And those who are less fortunate, we had the chance and the opportunity to give back to them and listen to them and maybe even learn from them rather than them learning from us and making this world a better place. And maybe listen to what God has told them. Them maybe God has told, how God has told them to make this world a better place. So as you said before, we're so uh, how can I put this? We're so scared, if you will, to talk about race. When I think God obviously look multiple times in the Bible. There's obviously a lot of different um, how can I say divisions that through God's love but also through action and dialogue that I'm not going to say are perfect and, perfect and taken care of, but they're, 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 they're dealt with, and that's something we have to do. We have to use God's love, yes, to listen to each other and to talk, but we have to use that in action 
and deal with it and not just avoid it all the time and give it back to those or maybe even give a voice to those who are less fortunate or perceived to be less fortunate. So not only would God want us to give back to them, but just be an open heart and open mind and make sure that those who are less fortunate have a voice to speak for them, for God, and for themselves. Yeah, and I just want to, and I'm just kind of feeling this where I, I just feel a need to like really call out and challenge like a thought process and a lot with where, you know, we see within churches and like Christians as a whole where there's, you know, there's things that we allow like like Christ's like teaching, like Jesus' teaching on, or like what he says, you know, to set the oppressed free. And that, that's just like my crowd. I mean, he talks about, you know, Matthew 20, 25, like when I was, Hungry, you fed me. Like, there's things that we're like, okay, you're like, I'm comfortable with that. That fits within my own political views of what I believe. And so, like, I'm comfortable with that. But there's things that I feel like we blatantly ignore where you think, like, when I, when I think of Jesus and how he spent his time, it's like he went to those that were the most outcasts, that they were the most, you know, most discriminated against, most you know, just rejected, like, by society, like, mm-hmm. as a whole. And society was fine with that. and But at the same time, like, Jesus was not okay with that. Right. And those are the people that not only he, you know, preached, like, in favor, you're talking about, like, making hair in the earth, but, like, he went to them and, like, got to know them and encountered their life. And, like, we need, as Christians and um, and a lot of these people, so as Catholics, we need to open ourselves up to all of God's teaching and especially, like, there's just really, I guess, within the Catholic Church, this beautiful, like, social teaching um, as well. And that's as much a part of our faith as, like, as almost like anything else. And we, and if you, you need to, like, if there's something in your life where you're like, okay, I have this belief, um, political belief or something that doesn't line up with Jesus' teaching, like, you need to seriously, like, examine that. Right. You need to examine the question that and why that is and maybe what kind of bias, you know, what biases that I come from or where did I learn that bias from? especially if it's not aligned with God's teachings, and if especially if it's hurt uh, other children of God, you need to seriously examine that. So I think we need to ser- seriously examine why do we feel that, first of all, race is divisive in God's world. Like I said, God wouldn't make us different races if he didn't, uh, if he didn't want us to. If he, didn't think it, if, he didn't, if he didn't think that we weren't all beautiful, then why would he make us different races? And why do we feel like Race is so divisive in the mission of uniting God's kingdom. I understand we have to be united, but I do obviously believe that God made us different for some reason. And like I said, not to ignore ignore and shut out those voices, but to lift them up and listen to them and try to learn from them sometimes rather than other people, rather than us, rather than other people who are especially less fortunate. Um, listening to uh, learning from us maybe we can learn from them Mm -hmm. so what would you say for people that you know who kind of i mean grew up from like the background what i did like i'm just kind of you know maybe you know being like uh like predominantly like white churches where race is not really talked about it's definitely not talked about very much like in church it's usually has more of a political connotation i guess like from like your perspective like what advice like we would offer what kind of challenge i guess would you give for that kind of church or those kind of people. Well, I think, like I said, you have to be open. You have to be open-minded and an open heart. And you, you talk about church, the black church. You know, I hate to get political or social, if you will, but the black church has always been the the center of 
not just spiritual movements, Taylor, but also obviously the civil rights movement, so social and political movements as well. Um, so I would say for those who are coming from mostly predominantly white churches, to actually go to a black church or maybe talk to someone who has attended a black church, what the black church means means to them. Because it's not, we talk about God, obviously. Well, there are other things we talk about through God, political and social issues. I would say maybe go to go to a Bible study, go to, go to a Sunday service and experience that. Even the the worship is different between a white church and a black church. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot different. You know, where, um, I don't want to be stereotypical here, if you, uh, or generalized, if you will. But I feel like from when I see mostly white churches, it's it's quiet, it's sovereign, whereas, and that's that's fine, whereas I feel like if you go to a black church, it's a lot more open and a lot more of an expression of love, and not say that you can't get that at a white, at a white church either, but it, it's different. But just because it's different doesn't necessarily make it bad. So for those of you who, who do attend you know, predominantly white churches, or as you said earlier, Taylor, Coming from predominantly white neighborhoods, at least, you know, be willing to experience or talk to people who grew up in different backgrounds, the different environments, and learn that they're just different. The culture is different, and that's a beautiful thing. It's not necessarily bad at all. But, but if you have questions, do some research. We have the internet now. If you want to look up a black church worship, maybe look that look that up on Google that, or go to YouTube, or like I said. Maybe ask your friend to attend the church service or a Bible study with you. You'll see it's a lot different, but it's not bad. And like I said, the black church has been more than just spiritual and worship. It's been the essential of political revolution and even social revolution as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just I, I kind of hear a little, I, I've got a little devil's head. I'm not going to ask you questions, but I'll give my like my own response to some of these things in my head and, and hear what you think as well. But um I think some of the objections, like I, like here, would hear is you know why do we have to focus on the ways that we are different? Like why can't we just uh, focus on why do we have to divide people? Like and say that there's you know such a difference between you know blacks and whites. Like why do we have to? Why do we have to? Um, and not just blacks and whites, but you know a lot of other like diversity and other races and things like in the U.S. But um, I think a lot of answer to that is that, you know, that's true. We're like our foremost identity um, as all of us, like we were children like of God and that like we are part of God's family and that supersedes everything. But the reality is, is like just as when, you know, for instance, for me, I grew up the oldest, um, an oldest like brother. And um, I had times where, especially for me, like when I grew up and I I was since I was the oldest I was the first to get like you know a real job and mm-hmm. there's been a lot of ways where I've been able to provide for my family and you know not necessarily like always sending money back when but when I go back home it's like I'll take us out to dinner right but like even you know buying presents and things for my right. my youngest brothers and not that that it makes me better than them right but there's like you know having a real need and the reality is if we all are a part of God's family like we have to acknowledge just the same way where like there are real differences. Right. And we have to those that, you know, have some kind of money or power, like we need to own up to that. I don't know exactly like what that looks like, but we have like a responsibility. Right. Uh, 
For, the responsibility to, I didn't mean to cut you off again. No, go ahead. But the responsibility is to, to give back. And like I said, to listen to those who need to be listened to. And what it looks like, it would look like to me, if I had to visualize it, it would look like a grocery store. Like I said, multiple grocery stores that are affordable in areas and environments that need them. It would be, you know, for me, it would be schools that are adequate and accessible and culturally sensitive to the needs of the young people of that area. It would look like getting young people jobs in the environment and helping the environment while putting some money in their pocket and some confidence in their hearts in that area. So just a bit of a taste of what it would look like. And then after-school programs, like maybe Big Brothers or Big Sisters, or some type of after-school club where you could do homework and then maybe play basketball or football or learn a trade or some kind of some kind of skill like I, like we're on a podcast so how about media if you want to maybe start a blog or learn how to start a blog or record stuff or things of that nature that's a bit of a, what, it, what it would look like just to kind of answer that part of your question just to give people a visual it would look like equal opportunity or at least equal or at least equal, equal resources if you will to create equal opportunity for everyone in different environments wherever they are uh, I mean, do you, mind, do you mind if I ask you a question? I yeah, know go ahead. Yeah, sure. You you came so you came from the west side of the state. Yes. Then you came to MSU. Then you're here in, at U of M and in Flint. Mm-hmm. How much of a culture shock was that for you? Um, I think Mich- Michigan State. You know, that, I feel like that was a nice like middle ground. Yeah. And so for people that don't know East Lansing and the kind of Lansing area, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people from all over the world. Like yeah. I met so many people. I met a lot of people. I had a lot of friends who were like from like Africa, from like Kenya and Angola. Right, and but that, that's a very, that's a big difference from like, you know, like African American. But for me, like it was a culture shock, but it was something that, you know, I did adjust to like pretty, pretty quick, relatively quickly. Yeah. yeah. Because like, that's the thing that, what, what is Flint? Like, why did you say Flint's probably like, yeah, fifty percent. At least it's at least forty percent, like African American. Like, oh, right? definitely. I would say probably closer to sixty, maybe sixty-five to seventy. Even though it's, even though now the population has started to drop off, but I would say last time I checked, my memory sixty-six percent black, maybe closer to seventy. It's always been a predominantly yeah. I black, think black city. I think it's at least fifty and probably closer to sixty. And that so that's like Flint City proper, and obviously. Just like with any downtown area, it's very easy to get into Flint, like yeah. into the downtown area. So you have people from suburbs, and you have like a lot of suburbs that are predominantly white right. that are very, very close. But yeah, I, I think it was a culture shock, like to me, and like for me, I, I had a lot of you know, I'd had friends and stuff. Uh, I had black friends and things before, but um, not people that I had known super well and who had. You know, I feel like a lot of my friends that I had were black, where like people had grown up more in white suburbs, so they kind of, you know, they still experienced like some of the same like racism. Like my friend John talks about, you know, he's had a lot of times where he's been pulled over. He calls it where like DWB driving yeah, driving, dri- black. driving white black, yeah. And like it was that was kind of a crazy thing for me to like. I mean, I it like made sense when I heard about that, but like getting to know more of. um like culture shock of like black culture. I know for me, like working in ministry and stuff at U of M Flint, I well f- not for U of M Flint, but like there, it was <laughs> cool. Funny story is when I when I started something we would do at MSU is we would do kind of like an outreach where we would play sports and stuff and just try mm-hmm. to get meet people. 
have people to join us in that way to like you know form contact you know be like hey like nice to meet you we want to like come hang out and something so just a way of getting to know people right and like you know hopefully helping them like finding where they're at spiritually and like having these real conversations with them when i first got to flint i did what i did at msu um which is where i played kind of played frisbee and then we're like wow not too many people are joining us and this is like some other students and stuff they're from the suburbs and i'm like why isn't that? I'm like, oh, wait, black people don't play Frisbee. <laughs> so um, we started playing football, and then it switched over to basketball. Yeah. And basketball is such a, like, I, I don't know. Like, I've, I always had a secret love for basketball, but I was always terrible at it. And then I've played it more and more. And it's just, like, it's so much part of the culture of Flint. But, like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's absolutely. just, it was from that and, like, meeting friends. Like, for instance, like, a lot of, a lot of people on campus, like Israel, like Connerly, a lot of people through mm-hmm. InterVarsity and other stuff and once I and like other friends that I met um through like the alpha thing which is kind of introductory into Christianity whether uh, well another friend like Stead and like uh, Josh Starr like just a lot of people that I knew it was just like oh I just kind of got like acclimated and it just and that's what I love about Flint like maybe it's probably my favorite thing is you just have like this you know there's just so many different kinds of people and there's like this sense of acceptance for people and uh, you know, there's, there's this sense of, it's just this beautiful, like, just kind of diversity, like, like, it's almost like a salad bar. It's like, you're just throwing like all different kinds of like people like there. And yeah. it just like works harmoniously just cause people are really chill. And, but like, it was a culture shock. And, um, I think at the same time, like I do notice, um, within my own thoughts, because I think so many things have been ingrained to me, whether it's the media um, not like I didn't really have any like, you know, racist family members or things. And in fact, I think I had, you know, quite the opposite and like a mom and even my dad who were like, they would talk to me um, about, you know, every once in a while, like about these issues and things. But, you know, I still have like, I, I'll catch myself thinking when I first like see someone who's black or like, um, not just black in general, but like maybe a certain circumstance where it's like, you know, like either like touch my wallet or like, like certain things where it's like I'll notice my instant reaction. I'm like, yeah. wow, like there's this like that 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 I'm sorry, the uh bias. bias yeah, it's bias. it's there and I don't I don't know if I'll ever be able to get rid of it. Yeah, I don't think you will, but I'm I'm once again I'm glad you acknowledge it because a lot of white people wouldn't not acknowledge that either. Mm-hmm. So at least you're on your way to acknowledging that rather than saying, Oh, I'm not racist, I don't I don't, I don't have a racist bone in my body or racist thought in my mind or something like that, you acknowledge it and at least you accept that it's there. And it sounds like you're at least possibly on your way to a working choice to trying to get rid of those biases yeah. as much as possible rather than just acting out on those biases, obviously, or or saying that you don't have any bias at all. At least thank you thank you for acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. I think I think something that's been really big is just, you know, once I've gotten to start to know like more, more, more and more friends of mine who are black and... And really not just like, okay, these are my friends, but actually like spending time with them and right. like sharing life. It's been, you know, really in that, like kind of like entering and like experience, like getting a taste of black culture, whether it's like through a lot of guys, like I play basketball with, or like, I remember last summer we would, me and some of the guys I live with here in the house, we would just go and like play. <laughs> we just go to different basketball courts around Flint yeah. and just like start playing pickup with people. Yeah. But even a lot of like, like hip hop culture and other things where, yeah. Like different people, like oh my gosh, like I think Kendrick Lamar's, 
like album damn like i've just been listening like i'll go i'll kind of get away i'll listen to it a lot for like a week or i'll just obsessively listen to it for like a week or two like only thing i listen to and then i'll get away from it and i just keep on coming back to it yeah i'm like that too i love Kendrick lamar and j cole and guys like that too and that's another thing uh black culture just in general has always always kind of been the i guess you say leading factor especially black youth culture and what's cool in america or what's not or what's hot right now, or what's not, or what was hot, and what's coming back, and so on and so forth. So once again, thank you for acknowledging, you know, black culture and being willing to open yourself to different experiences and different environments. And I also the first kind of going back to a few minutes ago, you mentioned surrounding Flint, just to give some of y'all a taste who may not be in the Flint area. Uh, for example, Grand Blake, Fenton, Flushing, even going out a little further to Clio. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the white surrounding suburbs surrounding a mostly black city so when i came down here maybe a week or two ago it suddenly hit me and i probably been noticing for some time it just didn't really hit me but last week that a good portion of downtown is still mostly white as compared to the rest of the, the rest of the flint city proper being black and once again going back to that wealth disparity you know i would just like to see some people open their minds and come to the city proper and learn from the city rather than just staying downtown and staying in the bubble and, you know, experience different experience different cultures and different journeys and different experiences from different kinds of people. So thank you, Taylor, for opening your mind. And obviously, you see with King, Queen, and Prince in our city, it's always been basketball, and it always will be, even if it is in a different manner than what it used to be in the city. And that's it for this episode of the Millennial Mission Podcast. Feel free to binge on more. we got plenty to binge on on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and our website as well. Um, feel free. We want to know what you guys think. I, I know some of these things that we talked about were controversial, so I'm posting the comments about what you guys think so we can actually have you know real good conversations. So try to stay away from um, flame wars and trolling would be good too as well. And if you guys want to hear more of these podcasts, um, just click below. We have a link that says like EEP URL and that signs you up for our newsletter. So we have like an email basically that I spend way too much time on every week. It looks really, really fancy though. And with that email, you get early access um, to all of our podcasts right before we release them. So you get it first. So that's, that's pretty much it. Um, feel free to support us on Patreon and have a 